Welcome to all those joining us for, for Chaim Aran. We dedicate today's Shir Lilu Nishmas Chayigitl Basra of Mordechai, whose yard site is on the 22nd of Shvat tomorrow, and Lilu Nishmas Rabbiitzchok Rebeliezer. We dedicate the learning for a complete Rafua Shalema for all those that need it, including Chaviva Chana Basgalia, Idis Bas Miriam Brindel. Michal Sora Bas Hadassah, Yente Fradl Bas Pesel, Yaakov Yoshua Ben Freindl Rechel, Shlomo Nisim Ben Mazel, Avram David Ben Chana, Sora Gittel Bas Chana Riva, Hindachasa Bas Chana, Yerachmiel Yisrael Doiv, Ben Rumit Nechama, Shimon Eliezer Ben Rochel, Yuspendel Baskitalea, Sorocho Bas Yuspendel, Avivalino Bas Yuspendel, Soralea Bas Chavaliba, Tuvietzvi Ben Chayaliza, the Soyer Shar Choyle Israel. We're continuing the Shir in Chaya Moharan. Just a moment. Paragraph 69 in the Sichois Hashayochim Lahatoyrois. Rav Nosenthal says, that the the Sicha, which is which is printed in Sicha Saran in Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom, paragraph fifty eight, which begins, Yesh Dovor Shepkoireach Bamachshava, that sometimes something comes into a person's mind. Just a moment. There, Rabbeinazal says, sometimes a thought flashes through your mind, and then you forget it. And you have to be strong, an Ishchayel, to pursue it until you're able to get it back, until you're able to capture it back. So Rav Nosenzal says, this Sicha I heard from Rav Enizal when I was privileged to be riding on a wagon with him <clears throat> on the way to Chirin, when he was traveling to Chirin for Shabbos Shira. And Rav Nosenzal says that was also when Rav Nosenzal recited the chapter on Likud Imran, chapter 192, which includes a quote from the Gemara, where the Gemara says, Dayoi le'eved liois karaboi, that very often tzaddikim will do something or not do something because they're emulating Hashem. Meaning, for example, just like Hashem does not take away a person's free choice, even though Hashem can, so too a tzaddik will not take away a person's free choice, even though he can, because the, the servant doesn't want to do more than the master. He doesn't want to supersede the master, Kaviochal, the tzaddik versus Hashem. Now, the term dayoi means it's enough. It's enough for the servant to be like the master, not to do more than the master. But the word dioi, also means the same exact letters, means ink. Ink that's placed on a on parchment. And Rabbein Azal in that Torah, chapter 192 in the Kut puts these two together, and he has a major discussion on it. So now Rabbein Azal says, I was riding with Rabbein Azal on the wagon, accompanying him when he was traveling to the city of Chirin for Shabashira. That was one of the Shabbosim that Rabbein Azal would go out to his students. And then Rabbein Azal said to me that something came to him 
and and it and he lost it. And he said that sometimes when that happens, a person person has to be powerful to chase after that thought and to grab it back. And Rav Nosanzal says that during that ride, Rav Nosanzal spoke to me a lot and gave me tremendous encouragement and tremendous consolation with all kinds of incredible sweet words. <clears throat> and he said to me that everything, everything, will be null and void, will be nonsense compared to the pleasure and satisfaction that you're going to have. <clears throat> and Rabbi Nassau commented, is it like, is it a trick to just to do something, just to help a person in the future world? In this world also, we have to do something for a person. <clears throat> Meaning that besides the future world that you're going to be privileged to have because of your mitzvahs and my simtoyvim, and because of your connection to Rabbeinazal, Rabbeinazal was implying that even in this world, Rabbeinazal would experience a high, an incredible high from, from his connection to Hashem and his connection to Rabbeinazal. <clears throat> and Rabbeinazal writes that the incredible closeness that Rabbeinazal brought me close to him and displayed such a love for me with his sweet words I started crying out of joy. I was on such a, such a high. The next paragraph, Ayin 70. This is related to what, what's brought in Rabbi Nachman's wisdom in Sichis Aran, paragraph 74. That Rabbi Nezal says there that sometimes when a person is davening, a person has to activate a roigez, a fire inside of them. A person has to turn on a fire. Now, the word roigez literally means anger, but anger is associated with fire. <clears throat> and Rabbi Nezal is saying sometimes if a person doesn't feel it, they have to push themselves, they have to turn it on. And Rabbi Nezal said, this is what the Gemara is referring to in the beginning of Brachas, when the Gemara says, yargiz odom toiv that a person should fire up his Yetzer Toiv, his good inclination, to overpower the bad, the Yetzer Hara, the negative inclination. And the Gemara uses that word Yargiz, from the word Roigiz, that a person sometimes has to turn on and, and push to have this fire of, of holiness, this passion, especially in tefillah. Sometimes there are people that feel if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't come, it doesn't come. And Rabbeinazal made it perfectly clear that a person has to try sometimes to push, to turn on that passion. Now, regarding tears, regarding crying in tefillah, there Rabbeinazal said a person shouldn't push. A person should try their best to say the words with deep sincerity from the heart but not try to force tears, because sometimes if you try to force it, it definitely will not happen. The tears have to come more naturally. But this passion, this fire, a person sometimes has to push themselves to turn it on. Paragraph Ayin Aleph, 71. Rav Nosanzal writes that this is related to what appears in Sikhi Saran, paragraph 89, where Rav Nosanzal speaks there about bundles and bundles of mitzvahs, chavilois, chavilois of mitzvahs, and chavilois of sins, chas v'shon. 
And Rav Nosenthal points out here in Chaim Aran that there's, oh, there's something missing there. There's a piece missing there that he wants to fill in now over here. And there Rabbi Nosenthal quotes from the Slichos that we say in Kel Melech Yoshev, we say there, Mavir Rishoin Rishoin. Hashem removes the first, the first. And Rabbi Nosenthal explains over there that sometimes a person commits a particular sin, and that sin leads to another sin, leads to another sin, it becomes a whole chain. But the first sin that the person committed, which initiated this whole chain, that's the beginning. And there are times when Hashem removes that first one, and automatically the other ones fall away. And Rav Nosen is, this explains why we say Mavir Rishon Rishon, because it would seem that why say the word Rishon twice? Rishon means first. Are there two firsts? The answer is, we're talking about the first one of each one of these chains of sins. A, a, a sin that initiated a whole row of sins that followed it. And when Hashem removes that first one, that automatically the other ones that were attached to it, connected to it, they fall away. Because they don't have where to draw their, their life from, their energy, because that first sin was their source of energy. And then those other sins also return to Hashem, and they come to Hashem looking for life, and then Hashem gives them life, and the person becomes released from them. Those sins are no longer attached to the person at all, because the person doesn't have to give them life, because the person was successful in arousing Hashem's kindness to remove the, the leader of those chains of sins. Once the leader was removed, those other sins in the chain turned to Hashem. And this is what the Pasik also says, This is a Pasik in Tehillim, chapter 51. I will teach sinners, means sinners that commit sins spitefully, I'll teach them your ways, and sins will return to you. Rav Nosenthal says, the term the path, that refers to Hashem's 13 attributes of kindness. Just as we find when Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to Hashem for Hashem to reveal to him these 13 attributes of kindness, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Teach me your path, your derech. So when it says, I will teach poishim derechecha, means I will teach them these 13 attributes of kindness, that when a person is to activate, to arouse these 13 attributes of kindness, then Hashem removes the top one, the first one of all of these bundles of sins, and therefore, the sins that are part of that bundle, part of that chain, they return to Hashem to receive chiyus from Hashem himself 
because their source was removed, that, that top sin was removed, which was originally their source. And it was removed by the fact that Hashem's 13 attributes of kindness were aroused. So now the question is, from where does Hashem give them chius? Just a moment. And this is left open here for now. Could be that in Rabbi Nachman's wisdom in paragraph 89, I didn't have a chance to look at it completely, could be there Rabbi Nezal answers this question, that from where does Hashem draw Chiyas now to support these other sins that were part of this chain when their leader was removed, in a sense. Yeah. Over there in paragraph 89 in Rabbi Nachman's wisdom, Rabbi Nezal elaborates on this. Okay. Any questions, please? How do we know which Avera is the, is the Rishon? Like, how are we sure which one is the Rishon? We don't. We don't necessarily have to know. Again, it says there in the Slichos that by us praying to Hashem, by us activating those 13 attributes of kindness, which we do when we say Tachnon on Mondays and Thursdays, or when we have Slichas, on the special days that we recite those 13 attributes of kindness, Hashem removes the Rishon, Maveh Rishon Rishon. We don't have to know which one it is. Hashem knows which one is the first sin that initiated a whole chain, Rahman of Islam. Paragraph Ayin Beis, Paragraph 72, Rav Nusenzal says this is related to what Rabbi Nusenzal spoke about, that wintertime is a time of Ibur. Ibur means pregnancy. And summer is a time of birth. When you go outside during the winter, you look at the trees and they're bare. There's no leaves on them. They look dead. They look like nothing. Just like when a woman is pregnant at first, you don't see a baby developing inside but there's a whole major development process taking place inside the mother's womb. And summertime is when everything comes out, the leaves and the flowers and the fruit, everything comes out. That's referred to as birth. Rav Nosanzal says that Rav gave an incredible discussion about this. And unfortunately, most of it was forgotten. But what I do remember is that he was speaking about the summer that was coming because this discussion took place during Nisan, the month of Nisan, which is springtime before Pesach, when Rav Rabbeinazal's son, Rav Shlom Ephraim, had been born. And Rabbeinazal spoke about this on the third day after the bris mila. It's called Shlishi Lamila, which we know the Gemara tells us that when a person has any major medical procedure, a surgery of any type, usually the third day after the procedure is when the person feels the greatest pain. And there are many people that make a suda, a special suda on shlishi lemila, the third day after a brismila. So that was when this discussion took place. And Rabbi Nezal said that during the winter time, all the grass and all the vegetation and everything dies because their power 
becomes very weak. And it's, it's like they're dead. When summer, when summer comes, they're all reawakened and they come to life. And therefore, that's a wonderful time for a person to go out to speak to Hashem in the fields. And speaking to Hashem here, we're referring to tefillah, a person expressing their yearning for Hashem and pleading with Hashem. And then all of this vegetation and everything that's starting to live and starting to grow, they also express their yearnings and they join the person's tefillah. And Rav Nassar says that Rav spoke about this at length at the time, about this and other related things. But unfortunately, because it wasn't written down, he says most of it was forgotten. And this is an incredible, important message for us, that when we have an opportunity to hear Devrei Torah, today we have recording machines that can, re that can actually record the words of Torah, or if a person doesn't have it, to make sure to write it down, because if not, it's very likely that the person will unfortunately forget with time. Paragraph Ayin Gimel, and this is related to paragraph 39 in Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom, where Rabbi Nizal used the terminology of a person banging their head in the wall. Sometimes when a person really wants something desperately, and they don't know how to get it, there's this expression, banging one's head in the wall. So Rabbi Nezal spoke about this, and he said that what this refers to is banging, is the connection between one's brain and the heart. The term wall is used regarding one's heart, the walls of a person's heart. As we see, the Pasuk says in Yeshaya Hanavi about Chizkiyo HaMelech, that when Chizkiyo came to, when the prophet Yeshaya came to Chizkiyo with a message from Hashem, telling Chizkiyo to prepare to die because he had not accomplished the first mitzvah in the Torah of getting married and producing children. So it says that Chizkiyo HaMelech turned Vayasev Chizkiyohu Ponov El Hakir, Hizkiyo HaMelech turned his face to the wall to pray, to plead with Hashem. And the Gemara says, El Kirois Liboy. He turned his face in, inward, into his heart, the walls of his heart, meaning he really prayed from the depths of his heart. And he made this connection between his heart, his brain, and his mouth, which is real perfection of tefillah. Because the term ponim, even though it says he turned his face, the term ponim refers to a person's brain very often. We have the Pasuk Chochma Sodom Toir Ponov. A person's knowledge and wisdom is what lights up, that, that's what shines on the person's face. Now there, I'll, I'll read this because this is very special. This is from Rabbi Nachman's wisdom. Rabbi Nazar said, that a Jew should be able to feel another person's troubles in one's heart. And this is especially true when it's not just one individual suffering, but when there are many people suffering. Rabbi Nezal said, it's possible to realize the suffering someone else is going through, but not necessarily feel it in your heart. When an entire community is in distress, 
then we should definitely be able to feel their agony in our heart. And if a person doesn't feel it, then they should bang their head against the wall. And that's the expression Rabbi Nezal used, but he, 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 he qualified it by saying, it means strike your head against the walls of your heart, as it says by Chizkiyol HaMelech, meaning you have to be able to bring that realization from your brain into your heart. Now note, there's a posik in, in Oleinu, in the Alkena Kaval, that we say, V'yodato hayoyim v'hashevoyso elevavecho ki Hashem ho'olakim v'ashmaimim alva oritz mitoch ha'seinoyim. It's one thing when a person knows something in their brain, in their mind. It's a whole other thing when the person is able to pass that on to the heart, because the brain and the heart represent two different objects, even though they're very close together, they're very similar in many ways, but yet there's a difference in that the emotions are generally in the heart, associated with the heart. And, and the Torah tells us it's not enough that a person knows in their brain they know what's right, or they know what's wrong, or they know that something happened. But rather, when, when it comes into the heart, that's where the emotions come into pass. That's a whole different league. It's incredible. <clears throat> I've mentioned I don't usually talk about personal things that much in a shir, but this is very, very related. My, my mother right now is very, very sick. She's in the hospital in very serious condition in intensive care unit, difficulties with the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, everything on all kinds of machines. And both my mother and father are Holocaust survivors and both very tough, very tough, very strong. My father even much, much stronger than my mother. And for the first time in my life, I see my father now when he's speaking about it, when he's talking about my mother, I see him a millimeter away from crying. You see the emotion, which I never, ever saw before by him, never anything close to it. But you see that again, it's one thing when you know something in your mind, it's a whole other thing. When, when the heart gets activated, that's a different league. That's where the tears come from. That's where all the emotions come from. Hashem should, Hashem should respond to our, our thoughts and especially our emotions. When we feel someone else's pain, we feel what somebody else is going through, and Hashem should give us the assurance that only Hashem can give. Paragraph Ayin Dalit. Rabbi Nassau has the Aleph Beis book, the Sefer Hamidois, as it's called, which Rabbi Nassau actually put together when he was a child. Anybody that reads it, it's hard to imagine that because it spans the entire Torah. It goes in the order of the Alphabet, quoting maybe a few thousand incredible, important things, some things that we see clear sources from in the Gemara, in the Bavli, the Yerushalmi, in the Zohar Kodesh, and some things that Rabbi Nezal himself understood. He got it from where the Gemara gets it from. And there's a, there's a Rabbi Nezal said that in the section in, under the letter Reish for Refua, he had actually written for himself all the different cures for all the different illnesses. There wasn't a single illness in the world 
for which he had not written the cure for it. However, he refused to have it published and he burned it. It's incredible to, to read this because we know the Gemara tells us that during the time of Chizkiyo HaMelech, there was such a book, there was a Sefer of voice, a book that had all the healings, all the medicines for all kinds of illnesses. And the Chizkiyo HaMelech hid this book in order that people should not rely on that, but rather they should focus on prayer. And we know that Rav Nassenzal tells us about Rabbi Nachman, that in Sefer Hamidois, there are many segulois, things that are segulois. Segula means something that we don't understand rationally how it helps, how it works, but it does. And, and Rav Nassenzal said that even those segulois that are written in Sefer Hamidois, we learn them, but we don't necessarily practice them. When it comes to practice, the main thing is prayer. Anytime that there's any kind of problem whatsoever, physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially, the path that Rabbi Nassau wanted us to take and the path that all the rabbis emphasized was tefillah, prayer, turning to Hashem in prayer. Paragraph Ayin Hay, 75. This is also related to Sefer Hamidos in, in the paragraph, the, the chapter on the letter Dalit Das, which begins <clears throat> with the words that all of the worlds that Hashem created and everything that Hashem created is a complete koima. It's a complete being from with a top and a bottom and a middle. For example, there, <clears throat> Rabbi Nezal speaks about a lion, exactly how a lion looks, how its head looks, how its mane looks, and, and the rest of its body. And Rabbi Nezal explains there that all of the differences, for example, let's just take an example, a lion and a giraffe. We could write 100 pages describing the differences in how they look, every part of their body, the ears, the eyes, the, the neck, every single part of the body. And Rabbi Nezal said that everything about the appearance of a lion is found in the letters of its name, the word Aryeh, the Hebrew word Aryeh, which means lion, the shape of the letter Aleph, the shape of the Resh, the shape of, and how these letters come together define everything, exactly how a lion looks and all the properties of a lion. And a person who knows the Torah well enough, had they never seen a lion in their life, by studying the word Aryeh, they would be able to describe, they'd be able to draw a picture for you of how what a lion looks like and be able to tell you everything about the lion, everything about how it lives. Rav Nosnesal writes, that I heard this discussion from Rabbi Nezal before Shabbos Hanukkah of the year 5,565. <clears throat> and there he mentioned also that regarding human beings, the word Adam, which means man, a person who knows the Torah well enough, when Hashem wanted to create man, he said, Nase Adam, let us make man. And in the word Adam, is included all of the images of every single human being in the world is included in that word Adam. And so too in the word Behemah, the word Chaya. 
and Rabbi Nezal spoke about this at length, that there are, there are levels of wisdom that, that are attainable even in this world, where the it's so high a level of wisdom that a person studying that, a person on that level, could exist without eating or drinking, where the wisdom alone is so high a level that that could sustain the person spiritually and even physically without having to eat or drink at all. But Rav Nosazal writes that Rav spoke about this at length, and we were not privileged to write it down, to write down everything that he said at the time. It's interesting that in the Tikkune Zoyar, there are pages and pages explaining each one of the letters of the Aleph Bays, what they're composed of, what they represent, giving very, very elaborate insights as to what each letter means. We know that Rabbi Nezal spoke about the names of people, and he mentioned, for example, regarding one of his students, whose name was Rib Shimon, and Rabbi Nezal said that the word Shemoin is comprised of two words, mosh avoin, removed from sin, completely removed from sin. And Rabbi Nezal commented at the time, that doesn't mean that every person whose name is Shimon has that same quality. The, the word Shimon could have in it a thousand different formations, different formats. But again, Hashem is infinite. The Torah is infinite. Every letter in the Torah, which is Hashem's wisdom, is infinite. And the, the Tikkun Ezer gives examples to show how a letter, the letter Aleph, for example, the way it's written in a Sefer Torah, one way of looking at it is where the top part is a Yud, then the diagonal part in the middle is a Vav, and the bottom part is a Dalid. Sometimes we look at it as a Dalid, sometimes a Resh, etc. And the Zohar Kodesh gives explanations showing what all of these things represent. One more paragraph related to this, paragraph 76, again related to the Seframidois, the paragraph on Das. Rabbeinazal pointed out there that a person with a high enough, deep enough knowledge of Torah will know and understand the oneness of how everything originates from one and everything in the end also becomes one, completely oneness. And Rav Nosazal says, it's possible that this is related to what Rav Nosazal speaks about in the second half of Likut Imran, chapter 39, where he says that everything in the world has a beginning and an end. And Rav Nosazal goes into detail there speaking about this that the chapter begins with the words, Lechu chazu mifalois Hashem. It's too long to go into now in detail, but again, for those that want, chapter 39 in the second half of Likut Imran is where Abenisal goes into this concept, speaking about the beginning and the end of everything, speaking about how creation began and the concept of Shabbos, which is the ultimate, ultimate goal and of everything. Now, something very interesting here. Rav Nosenthal writes that this chapter of Likud Yamaran 
I was not to understand well at the time that I heard it from Rabbein Azal. <laughs> and yet I wrote it over, like I wrote over all the shirim that I heard. And when Rabbein Azal saw what I had written, Rabbein Azal said that I didn't understand it correctly. I didn't understand properly what he, what he meant. And he said, that's not, that's not what I said. And that, that wasn't my intention. And Rav Nosanzal says it's possible that his intention was what's expressed more clearly in chapter 39 in the second half of Likut Imran. Whereas, I'm sorry, that, that, that it's, it's more so what, what, what he just said here now, that, that everything, everything has a beginning and end. And in the beginning, it starts off as one. And in the end, in its ultimate goal and purpose, it's all oneness. But it seems here, it's, it's interesting to note that Rav Zal is so open with us in saying that this was one rare example where Rav Zal said that I, I didn't understand it correctly, I didn't understand it properly. And Rav Zal concludes with the words, Hashem understands and knows all hidden things. One final item related to Sefer Hamidus, paragraph 77 here, and then we'll take questions. Rabbeinu Zalver says that through Zrizus, a person who's very quick, when, when they need to accomplish a mitzvah or something important, they're quick in doing it. Rabbeinu Zal said a person like that can easily become a leader, a leader of the generation both on a, on a physical level and spiritually, a spiritual leader. And Rabbi Nassau quotes quoted the Pasuk, Leich el memola otzel This is a Pasuk in Mishlei, where it says, you who are lazy, go to the ant, study the ants, and, and learn from them. Look how quick they are. Look how how hard they work, how diligently they work to store up food. People that, that are familiar with this know that if you ever look into an anthill, look inside at the quantity of food that, that an ant stores, if the, if the ant would live a thousand years, it could never finish all of that food. But the ant doesn't stop. It's rushing around constantly, searching for food, more food, and, and storing up more and more. And Rabbeinu Sal pointed out that the last letters of this pasuk, Leich El Namolo, I'm, I'm sorry, that there's a pasuk, Mishom Roya Evan Yisrael. From there comes forth the shepherd, the rock of the Jewish people. This is a term that's used to refer to a leader. The leaders of the Jews were called shepherds. And, and the last letters of Mishom, Roya, Evan, Yisroel, spell this word Nemala. Nemala means an ant, which again stresses that this quality of Zrizus, of an ant, how quick it is and how diligent and persistent, rushing and rushing, not wasting any time, using all of its time to search and acquire and accumulate more and more, 
that that this this is the the quality that's needed to be a leader in Kali Yisrael. And Rav Nosanzal points out that this this appears in in Sefer Hamidos, in the the Aleph Beis Chodesh as it's called in the paragraph on Zrizus. But Rav Nosanzal says this is how I heard it in in personal conversation with Rav Nosanzal. In Breslov, it's known that Rav Nosanzal was the the epitome of this and the example of this. That those that knew him from when he was a child. He was incredibly quick. Everything he did, especially when it came to any kind of mitzvah, Speedy Gonzalez, he would, when it came to going to the mikvah, they said, he would come into the dressing room and there would be people almost finished getting dressed to leave the mikvah. Rav Nassim would get undressed, go into the mikvah, come out and get dressed and be out before them. That's how quick he was. Interesting, it's hard to, to imagine this, but I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen, unfortunately, I wish I were quicker, but I see people sometimes that, that, that come in after me and you see that they're, they're leaving before certain, certain gift that a person has, a certain consciousness that a person has to be really quick and swift, which, which is very, very much praiseworthy. We know that the first time this is mentioned is regarding Avraham Avinu, when the Torah says, when Hashem gave him the 10th test, which was to bring his son Yitzchok Avinu as a sacrifice, the Torah says, Vayashkem Avram Baboiker, Avram Avinu woke up in the morning, and, and the Gemara says, everybody wakes up. Now, why does the Torah say that? To tell us that when it came to doing a mitzvah, even this mitzvah, which involved taking his son and offering him as a, a sacrifice on an altar, Avram Vinu got up early, very early, to be able to do it. We know that there's a major difference, major difference, when a person davens shachris earlier in the morning or later, even if it's within this man Kriyashma. There's a letter in Alam Letrufa, in Rav Nassim letters, where he writes to his son, telling him that it's an incredible privilege for a person to pray early in the morning, to try to pay, pray nets, vasikin, vatikin. And he writes there that if you'll do it, this will be an incredible, incredible foundation for your entire day and for your whole life to, to put a, a, a blessing on everything you do throughout the entire day. Any questions, please? Uh, Rav Nassim, uh back to what you were saying about the alphabet. I know a few books, uh, there's definitely the known one of Eoyah Monk on the Alphabet, and there's even better one, which I'm blessed to have, of Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsburg on the Alphabet. Do you have any other books that you uh, recommend for someone to understand the Alphabet deeper on that level? Referring to the Alephase? Yes, like uh, uh, Rabbi, it's the one I'm the ones I'm thinking of have something they tell a little bit about each one. Like I've there's a number of the concepts I know, like there's obviously the gematrias, there's uh, how you spell them out and then the shapes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, are there any other ones that you're familiar with? 
the answer is the Tikkun Zohar, the Sefer Yitzira. These are very deep books. I believe Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan, Zohanavracha, wrote a, a commentary on the Sefer Yitzira, where there he goes into some details, speaking about the letters, you know, expounding on the letters of the Aleph days. But those, that's more of a topic somewhat to go on. Like, definitely we need to focus more on Gamora and Shohan Rach a little bit more in there, but like, I, I guess like I, I keep myself a passing safer around. Would you say that be probably a little bit further up once I learn a little bit more Gamora and, and some of those other things to understand more, focus on those a little bit? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. <clears throat> now. I've got a question. Yes, please. Um, I'm a little bit confused on what you said, not because of what you said, but because I'm trying to uh, put it into understanding the uh, the idea of the quickness. You know, uh, you know. I thought that when we do the mitzvahs, we should take our time and fully understand, and really, you know, ingrain them. And what, what's the point of the of the quickness? I I, re- I didn't get that. It doesn't mean speeding through the mitzvah. We don't mean, for example, speeding through a prayer. Right. We mean speeding to get to shul, let's say, or speeding to try to begin a mitzvah at the earliest possible time that a person's allowed to, for example. One of my rabbis, his name was Reb Michal Dorfman, I remember I had the privilege of praying with him in the mornings. And at one point in time, I asked him, I had a car, and I asked him if I could have the privilege of driving him to shul. He said, yes. So I remember at that time, sunrise, let's say, was 7 a.m. in the morning. The earliest time you're allowed to put on a talus in Israel is 52 minutes before that, which means 6.08. So I asked him, what time should I pick him up? I figured he'll say 6 o'clock, 5 to 6, because by car, it was about a five-minute ride to shul. He said 5.30 or 5.15. And I was smiling. I said, are we going to do the midnight prayer or something? And he said to me, you don't come to shul on time. Who comes to shul on time? You don't come on time. You have to come early. You have to come early to prepare yourself, to get yourself or You don't come when, 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 when it comes time to pull the trigger. You come beforehand to prepare yourself, to get ready and everything. And this was an incredible, important lesson that I saw that, that he'd be looking at his watch, like from 10 minutes before 6.08, he'd be looking at his watch, and the moment 6.08, and he made sure that his watch was an accurate watch also, and the moment it was 6.08, you saw him pull his talus out of the bag and start putting it on, meaning the moment I'm allowed to do a mitzvah, what? Why would I want to wait? Who wants to do it five minutes later? If this is something important, special, if this is a billion dollars, then acquiring it one minute earlier is obviously very important. And the same thing is with any kind of mitzvah that a person's doing, you know, whether it's the prayer in the morning, whether it's putting on the talus, or, or again, acquiring something important for a mitzvah, that kind of thing, that there's no... No, no waiting here, a, a child is going to be bar mitzvah. Some people start thinking of ordering the tefillin, they wait till the last minute, and then they find out that there's a delay, there's a line. Whereas if this is important, 
a year before I'm starting to think I'm checking to see who's a good sofer and trying to see, trying to make sure to put in my order, trying to make sure I have it well in advance. So there's no chance in the world of missing out on a mitzvah or being late for a mitzvah, that kind of thing. That's what we're referring to. But the, the actual mitzvah itself, person doesn't want to rush through. They want to, they want to make sure to, to get the maximum, obviously. I have a quick question. Okay. The, the example the Rav gave was of Rav Nassin when he would go to the mikvah. Mm-hmm. So was t- the actual tabling always so quick? I could hear going in and getting out, but the actual tevila was always so quick. Is that avoided in the tevila itself? The, the ins- good, good question. There are times that a person could, could, there are different numbers of dippings in the mikvah. There's the Arizal speaks about four dips in the mikvah. There are some that do 13. There are some that do 39 on Friday afternoon, corresponding to the 39 lights that replace the 39 acts of work. There are different numbers, but it seems that they definitely were taught. Now, keep in mind that in those days and in some places today, they didn't have a big mikvah where three, four people or 10 people could dip at the same time. It was small mikvahs. <clears throat> and, and if a person would take time in the mikvah, it meant that somebody else might be waiting. In addition, in those days, it wasn't like today that the mikvahs were heated. In, in the wintertime, it could have been freezing cold. So that was another reason not to hang out, you know, for, but, but uh, obviously, if he was going to Davin, you know, or something like that, or, or there was an important mitzvah to be done, it seems he didn't procrastinate in the mikveh at all those times. It was in and out as quickly as possible. Thank you. Sure. Okay, the next sikha is very interesting and very, very, very important. <clears throat> this is paragraph 78 in Chaim Oran, which is related to chapter 44 in Likutim Oran. Rav Nosenthal says this was said before Rosh Hashanah of the year 5,563, which was the first Shabbos that Rav Nosenthal came to Rabbi Nachman. Remember, Rav Nosenthal lived in the city of Nemerov. Rabbi Nachman had just moved to Breslov. He had lived in other places prior to that, Medvedevka, Zaslov, and now Rabbi Nosenthal moved, a new rabbi came to town in Breslov. And he was making waves. And there were people coming to him and being very much inspired. And Rav Nosenthal heard about him. And he decided to go check him out. And he went with a few friends. And, and Rav Nosenthal writes, that first Shabbos that I spent with Rav Nosenthal, Rav Nosenthal gave a shear on the, the, this chapter 44 on the Kutimran, which speaks about the topic of clapping hands during prayer. And Rabbi Nezal gives a very deep, beautiful explanation as to what's so special, what's so important about this. And Rabbi Nezal writes that this was shortly after Rabbi Nezal had arrived in the city of Breslov. And I was told that when he first came, one time he was standing at the entrance to the shul, in his, the base medrash in his house, and he reprimanded people that they're not davening the way they're supposed to. He said, I don't hear any clapping of hands during davening. And people understood that Rabbi Nezal wanted to restore the crown 
to what it was previously, to what it was during the time of the Baal Shem Tov and his students, where the Baal Shem Tov infused his students with a fire, a passion for tefillah, where there'd be noise, there'd be screaming, there'd be sound and clapping hands, tremendous action in the tefillah. And, and unfortunately, during Rabbeinazal's time, Rabbeinazal was a great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, and during Rabbeinazal's time, the Hasidim started cooling off. That passion for tefillah, that passion for serving Hashem, was, became cold. And Rabbeinazal worked very, very hard to reactivate that, for people to know to put fire into their prayer, into their mitzvahs, and now Rav Nassar says that before that Shabbos, before Rosh Hashanah, there were two Hasidim that came to visit Rabbi Nachman who were respected. It seems they weren't kids. They were elders and they were people who are known to be learned. And they joined Rabbi Nachman for the meal on Shabbos. And during the, during the discussion, they, they were making fun of a person in the city of Nemerov that used to clap his hands during prayer. And Rabbi Nassau got very upset at this, and he spoke to them very harshly. And he said to them, you know what clapping hands during prayer is all about? That you're, you're making fun? And, and that you're not so pleased about what he's doing? And then on that Shabbos, which is the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah, Rabbi Nassau says, I arrived. I came for that Shabbos. And that's when Rabbeinazal said this chapter 44 on the Kutimran, explaining that's one of maybe six or seven chapters on the Kutimran where he speaks about the importance of clapping hands during prayer. And Rabbeinazal writes, that was the first official shiur that I heard from Rabbeinazal. And right afterwards, I wrote it down, Baruch Hashem. Then Rabbeinazal continues, that shortly afterwards, after Sukkot, a person from Nemerov came to Rabbeinazal, and he was one of those two people who had been there before Rosh Hashanah at that meal, who was making fun of the clapping hands. And now this person came to Rabbeinazal because he had a son that was very sick. And Rabbeinazal took the book of the Arizal, the Chaim. And he showed him there where the Arizal explains on the Pasuk, V'yasem Lecha Shalom, which the Kohanim say, the blessing that the Kohanim give to the Jews. The Arizal writes that the first letters of the Yosem Lecha Shalom are Shin Lamed Vav, which is a word that's used in Tehillim, where the, the Dovrenal says, Sholev Hoisi Vayifar Pereni. I was at peace. Sholev means at peace. Shalva means peace. And I was then I was crumbled. I was shattered. And the Arizal there gives a whole incredible deep explanation showing how this word Sholev, Shin Lamed Vav, is a combination of three times Elohim and three times Yud Kevavke. We know Hashem's name, Elohim, is Hashem's name of judgment, harshness. And Yud Kevovke is Hashem's name of, of kindness. The word Goroin, the throat of a person, the throat is a place of constriction. Very often when a person gets sick, it's about the throat, swollen glands, 
strep throat, all kinds of sicknesses that appear in the throat. And when it's cold outside, they say, put on a scarf, make sure that your throat is protected because that's a place where the illness can, can affect the person most easily. The Hebrew word goroin, throat, is bigimatria three times elokin, referring to these three aspects of judgment, din, harshness. And yud kevavke, three times yud kevavke, is bigimatria, mazla, all kinds of positive things, sweet things. So the Arizal explains that these three yud kevavkes sweeten the three elokins, and that's this sholev. And Rabbeinazal showed how this is accomplished when a person is clapping hands during prayer, that they activate this power, this sholev, and this tikkun for vayipar pereni has the word par twice. Par, resh pei 280, is the gematria of the five letters in the Hebrew alphabet that close a word. They're called closers, that when they come at the end of a word, they appear differently. Menatzbach, mem, nun, tzadik, pei, chof. These five letters are written a certain way when they're in the beginning or middle of a word, and they're written differently, differently when they appear at the end of a word. They're called stumois, closed. Open is always a concept of kindness, poseach es yodecha. Closed, lack, is a concept of tzimtzum, harsh lack of kindness. So Rabbi Nezal explains there this vayipar pereni, this two pars and the sholev, and Rabbi Nezal had this person read read what the Arizal says about this. And then Rabbi Nezal explained in chapter 46 in Likut Imran how this refers to the, the two hands. A person has two hands, and when they bring them to, together, that becomes like a third hand. The Torah speaks about Yad HaGedoilo, Yad HaChazoko, and Yad HaRomo. And Rabbi Nezal has a whole deep explanation over there in chapter 44 on Likud Imran, and then again in chapter 180 about sweetening judgments. And all of this is related to when a person claps their hands during prayer, they're activating all of this holiness. But Rabbi Nezal points out, this man who came and was looking for a cure for his son refused to accept Rabbi Nezal's words and to come close to Rav Enizal, he went home and the child became more sick. And now Rav Nosanzal says, this person, Rav Nosanzal lived in Nemerov, so this person told me this whole story and he asked me that next time, and he also told me that Rav Enizal told a story about a certain wealthy person who had tremendous chutzpah and was very, very tough. But Rav Nusenzal says, I don't remember the story in detail. And this man asked me that when I, when I go to Rav Enizal, next time I go to Rav Enizal, I should remind him about his son, about his son that's sick, and I should ask Rav Enizal to help him. Sure enough, a short while later, I went to Rav Enizal and I spoke to him about this. And Rav Enizal's response was, the child is still living? And I stood there trembling, like, you know, the way he said that, he made it perfectly clear that the judgment had been sealed in heaven against that child. And then Rabbi Nezal said, if that man had accepted what I said, 
the child would have already been completely healed, completely cured. And sure enough, Rav Nosazal writes, a short while later, that child died. And when Rav Nosazal spoke about this person, that he, he refused to accept Rav Nosazal's words, Rav Nosazal says, I started defending him. And I said, how can you expect him to come close to you? He's close to this other rabbi who was one of the rabbis who opposed Rabbeinazal at the time. So Rabbeinazal said, so what? It simply means he has a bigger test. So what? <clears throat> Just because of that, he can't come close? He could come close. He's, he has a bigger test, and he, and he was supposed to withstand the test and overcome the obstacles and come close. Now we know Rabbeinazal, the Eitzadik has tremendous kindness. Eitzadik is full of kindness. But there's also an element of Yira. There's always this combination of Yira and Ava. Yesterday, we read Parshas Yisroi. And in Parshas Yisroi, we see thunder and lightning, and the whole mountain is on fire, and, and Hashem gives a warning, warn the keep, people, keep back. Anybody who dares get too close is going to be destroyed. First one say, I don't get it. What is this all about? What's the fire and the brimstone and the... The Jews said, we accept. They said, Nasa, with Nasa and Ishma. What's the... And all the, all the Mephoshim point out that this makes it perfectly clear that our relationship with Hashem is not just lovey-dovey. It's not just Ava. It's a combination of Yira and Ava. There has to be respect, fear, and love. The Gemara says, Hashem lifted up the mountain over their heads, and he said, if you accept everything, fine. If not, you'll all be buried here. Meaning, because there's an expression, English people fall in love. They fall in love, and then they fall out of love. A week later, 10 years later, they fall out. And if there isn't a base of respect and fear, fear of consequences, that if a person does something wrong, there's consequences. It's not not if a child shows disrespect to a parent, they do it once, they do it twice. It's not that we're going to ignore it. There's a price to be paid for that. There are consequences so that the child will learn that you don't do that. It, it doesn't pay. So here again, the Torah teaches us that in a relationship between a rabbi and student, with the right hand, with the left hand pushing away, with the right hand, with the stronger hand, bringing close. And we're told that this is the concept of a relationship between a rabbi and a student and a parent and a child. That sometimes parents think that if I just show love, then, then of course the kid is going to love me. What? And they don't realize that if you don't follow the formula that Hashem prescribes, it's not going to work. As much as it seems to you based on your logic, you think it makes sense. You think one plus one is two. It doesn't always work that way. There are times that one plus one is minus one, chas v'shalom, that too much. If one spoon of sugar in, in, in a drink sometimes makes it more enjoyable, person would say, wow, then three spoons would make it even more enjoyable. And it's not the case. We know it's not the case. It's this balance of yira and ava that's critical. And we see by Rav Enezal that there was tremendous ava towards anyone who, who deserved it. But at the same time, there was this element that a person had to know 
that 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 there was an aspect of Yira that if a person didn't make the right choice, didn't make the right decision, then sometimes there were consequences and sometimes very severe consequences. We should be zeicha. We should be zeicha to to absorb this, to learn from the tzaddikim and to learn from the students of tzaddikim, to have a healthy combination of this yira and ava, to be zeicha to come close to the true tzaddikim and get all the benefits of that, and to get to see the final redemption, the coming of Moshiach, the binyan beisamitosh mimhera beameno amen veamei. Any questions before we close? I mean, Rav Nassim, would you uh, give us the name of your of your mother? Definitely, it's Yenta Fradel Bas Pessel. Yenta Fradel Bas Pessel. I appreciate tremendously. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Together with all the others, there's Tinoik Ben Chana. Why I forgot to mention in the beginning who also means a major refuah. Our learning, our mitzvahs, our Torah tefillah should bring a refuah for all of these people and all the others that need refuah. It's a shame.